cash. How do you pay these guys? Straight cash, homie. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Straight Cash Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chad Graff, though, to be joined once again by my colleague on the Vikings beat at The Athletic, Arif Hassan. Arif, it is nine and a half hours since kickoff happened as we look down at a very empty Saints field at the Superdome. They're trying to blur out the Saints ink that is on the field to get ready for the national championship. And because, of course, the New Orleans Saints will not have a game here again until the preseason next year in August. That is because your Minnesota Vikings came to New Orleans, this building that has brought them so much angst, and somehow came away with a 26-20 overtime victory Arif, what in the world happened today? I don't think there's a way to process what happened. I think we can evaluate each storyline in parts and then maybe come to a conclusion, but the totality of the game is so difficult to absorb. Uh, you know, as, as somebody just kind of watching uh, that, that has more of a vested stake in writing something after the game than the actual outcome of the game, <laughs> it's, it, it, I mean, my heart was pounding. It must have been crazy exciting for any neutrals watching, um, but the things that were happening in the game, especially as the stadium kind of reflected those things, mm-hmm. I know everything was just kind of exaggerated and big uh, until it wasn't. It, it, it's it was a remarkable game, but it was also a difficult one to talk and think about, which of course is why we <laughs> our job to talk and think about. It. Yeah, <laughs> to to not have a rooting interest though, and to still feel like your heart is beating out of its chest tells you it was a hell of a game, uh, a super fun one to cover. And I guess let's just go in sort of reverse chronological order. Uh, let's start post game. Anything jump out to you? Um, about what we heard post game, it was sort of you know a crazy scene. The the Wilfs, Mark and Ziggy were outside uh, in the tunnel as players were coming off the field, giving them hugs. These, of course, the owners who have been through so much this week put out a statement backing Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer. And I think that there was probably some concern that this was going to blow up in their face that they were going to put out this statement where they had quote unquote every intent in retaining Zimmer and Spielman, and then. If this was like a, a 45 to 7 game, all of a sudden you're looking at yourself and then you're like, why, why did we release that statement? What are we doing? And instead, Mike Zimmer delivers what I think was one of his best coached games since joining his the His magnum opus, honestly. This, it this was, was. It yeah. was a masterpiece. Uh, their ability to, to contain Breeze, who for three quarters was averaging four and a half yards per attempt. <laughs> You know, was was so critical to making sure that the you know the Wilfs weren't embarrassed, right. that the Vikings weren't embarrassed, that this game was way more competitive than I think anyone thought. I think you know at pick watch uh, was 146 people picked, 145 <laughs> picked the Saints. Uh, shout out to Connor Orr at MMQB for picking the Vikings, there you the go, only one who was correct, uh, and that includes us. We didn't we didn't pick the Vikings to win I either. The Saints, you picked the Saints. John Krasinski picked the Saints. Yeah, notorious Homer Arifasan, uh, <laughs> who's picked against the Vikings, I think twice. Oh, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> wrong both times, by the way. Um, yeah, it, it was it was a, a remarkable game that I think I think it starts with the person who was under the most controversy heading into the game, which remarkably is Mike Zimmer. Which is not to say that he's like an uncontroversial vanilla bland figure. He clearly right. you know finds ways to spark storylines time and again. But I think if you were going to look at people heading into this game 
whose storylines would be the biggest. You wouldn't go with Mike Zimrabi. You go with Kirk Cousins, maybe Stephon Diggs, certainly Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen returning from injury. And that's just on the Viking side, you know, on the Saints side. They've got so much history heading into the playoffs, especially with regards to refereeing. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. But Mike Zimmer is the person I, I wouldn't have expected much about. And that kind of just, it. There, there was so much going there. And of course, he's the one that I think should be at the center of our discussion about how the Vikings ended up winning this game against the Saints. And let's, I guess, just jump right into that. I think one of the biggest moves that he did was moving Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin inside on some of those obvious pass rushing situations. And you and I both agreed leading to this that the Saints were the worst matchup that the Vikings could have faced. And I think one of those reasons was because it seemed like they were one of the very few teams that could mitigate Hunter and Griffin. They have very good offensive tackles, which is the first place that you would go to to Mm -hmm. to mitigate the defensive ends. But also Drew Brees gets the ball out so quickly, often over the middle uh, to players like Michael Thomas. And, And so I think both of us probably would have anticipated if things gone according to plan, a quiet day from Hunter and Griffin. And instead, thanks, I think, largely to what Mike Zimmer did with his defense, a move that I would love to know how long he's been working on or, or scheming for <laughs> or planning. Uh, he instead attacks the interior of the Saints' offensive line, which is much weaker than their tackles, and it paid dividends today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Ryan Ramchek didn't allow a sack all year. He was up against some pretty good pass rushers this year, too. You take a look at the Saints' schedule. Not only do you have like players like Shaq Barrett you know, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but they're, they're out of uh, division schedule, feature some pretty good pass rushers. Teron Armstead, I think, is a top three or top five left tackle, at least by PFF, who've got a pretty good idea uh, and, and, and Everson Griffin was kind of slowing down at the end of the mm-hmm. season, too. And then he comes out with two sacks. You know, Daniel Hunter might have had the biggest play of the day, you know, aside from a 43-yard overtime uh, catch that was nearly a touchdown by Adam Thielen. In regulation, you know, Daniel Hunter probably saved the day. And a lot of that has to do with the way the Vikings used the two of them. A lot of it inside. And even on plays where they didn't get sacked, they were able to get a bunch of pressure. Uh, lining up uh, Griffin and Hunter up against, you know, these guards. One of them, I think, is a backup guard for part of the game because uh, Andrus Pete, who certainly isn't up to the level of Taron Armstead in the first place, you know, he gets injured. Uh, and so now you've got these, these wonderful opportunities for when you do have the space, and that space only exists on these like, you know, third downs or obvious passing situations when you have the space to kind of use the additional quickness and that they're both pretty strong for defensive ends uh, that that they can provide. And it kind of reminds me of, you know, what the 2007 New York Giants did, which I'm sure there's a couple of parallels we can continue drawing with them as uh, as the playoffs continue, um, hopefully for the Vikings. <laughs> um you know, they, they had this NASCAR package, right, where they would have four defensive ends, Jason Pierre-Paul on the inside, uh, who I think comps in some ways to Everson Griffin. Um, the fact that Zimmer was able to, you know, thought that this was kind of the most appropriate way to generate pressure, I mean, it takes a special kind of defensive end. You can't just put defensive ends on the inside and expect them to win. So that ability to put that defensive wrinkle in there that they hadn't used basically all year, except in you know super emergency situations where they just don't have tackles, which is kind of different than going into the, the game with that as the plan, was a big part of their ability to generate pressure against an offensive line that doesn't give up pressure and against a quarterback that doesn't take sacks. Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll scrap my plan of going in reverse chronological order because... <laughs> We're all over now, and I was... The game resists explanation and narrative. (laughs) And thinking, like, 
even just the ideas at halftime, I, I couldn't tell. I didn't think that the Vikings' defense, as good as it was and has been in recent weeks, would be able to continue what they had been doing against Drew Brees because he's Drew Brees and Sean Payton is a great coach. And they continued it far longer than I expected. So I didn't know where, what to make of them up 13-10 to 10 at halftime. Third quarter gets going and the Vikings go up 20-10 to 10 on a Dalvin Cook run where... You know, uh, perhaps if the ruling on the field was that he didn't get in, I don't know that that call gets overturned. Instead, the ruling on the field is a touchdown. They don't have enough to overturn it. And that's where I started to think, my God, like things are actually breaking for the Vikings, which is so weird. The Saints are, feels like the fans are booing every five minutes. And perhaps some of that is grievances from years past. Uh, those grievances certainly fair. I wouldn't say all of them were fair today. Uh, but the Vikings were up 20 to 10 going into the fourth quarter. The defense was outstanding on basically everybody not named Taysom Hill. He was the only player that the defense didn't have an answer for. And I, I just, I, I don't, I guess I, I haven't perhaps been around the Vikings long enough because I did text a friend who is a Vikings fan going into the fourth quarter and said, you're up 20 to 10 in New Orleans. How do you feel? And he said, we could be up 35 points right now and I wouldn't feel comfortable, which touche. And uh, <laughs> it turns out being up 20 to 10 was was not a comfortable Almost place. not enough. Yeah. So in that fourth quarter, the Vikings' offense has 16 plays, 17 yards they get out of those 16 plays. They're unable to... You, know, you would think that this is a team built to chew up some of that clock, which they did a great job of during the game and, and part of why the Saints only had 54 plays. But that would be a time that if they could put together a long, sustained drive, that could really eat at the Saints' chances. Instead, punt, punt, punt on their drives in the fourth quarter. Taysom Hill was going in the fourth quarter. What are you thinking as that 20-10 to 10 lead you know, goes 20-17 to 17 with 10.30 left? Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting. I think Dalvin Cook at the end, I think he has under four yards in attempt when you take or four yards of carry. 28 uh, attempts for 94 yards, which now that it's just dawning on me, the Saints' streak of however many yeah. games that allowing a 100-yard <laughs> rusher still intact, so good for them. Yeah, I'm sure they're very happy about it. Uh you wouldn't have thought that that would have, after seeing kind of what happened in the first half with Dalvin Cook being able to just, you know, create these chunks of yardage, and I think a lot of that has to do with how well the offensive line played too, that they wouldn't be forced to, you know, find themselves with an inefficient running game, as it were. But as kind of, the, especially in the fourth quarter, as they were trying to chew out clock while still attempting to gain yards, they took, you know, tackles for loss. They almost had that fumble that got returned for a touchdown, which another oh uh, break God. for the Vikings, which again, you don't that see a lot of those. That quarter alone felt like it was three hours. Yeah, absolutely. So, so my normal uh, morning routine is, I'm, so I'm addicted to caffeine. It doesn't do that much for me anymore. I had three cups of coffee in the morning. That's pretty normal for me. I go to the stadium. I'm still not completely up, so I have another cup of coffee in the press box. And then by the time that fourth quarter is happening, I've had another cup or two of coffee, right? And by it was clearly too much just because the game was like <laughs> pumping adrenaline yes. into my veins. My heart is just weak now. I, it, was, it was absurd. This game was the equivalent of like 12 shots of espresso. It was absurd. Uh, and so for for that to happen, you know, it was lucky that the Vikings had that fumble turned into a four-yard loss. Mm -hmm. um, it, they, they were fortunate, I think it was, to be like second and 16. Yeah. was outstanding uh, for them. And, and so it was, it was clear, like, in the fourth quarter, everything was kind of moving in the opposite direction, which is 
pretty reminiscent, not just of previous Vikings games, but the last playoff game against New Orleans, mm-hmm. where uh, the Saints were able to drive, they were able to score points, they ended up, well, in that game, they ended up with a lead. Here, they they were nearly able to create a lead, uh, and it, it took just a couple of ac- additional plays, uh, you know, some key pressures uh, for them to, to force the Saints into a tie instead of a win, which then, of course, they were able to turn into an overtime win uh, from the Vikings' perspective. Uh, a really rough fourth quarter that I think encapsulates everything it means to be a Vikings fan, except <laughs> that final bit went the other way. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the the offense uh, for the Saints uh, were able to drive down the field really efficiently. It looked like there wasn't really much stopping them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, the defense kind of kept on finding ways to get pushed back. Uh, so, so I guess let's get into those two. The first one is Daniil Hunter just makes an incredible play, comes up the middle, and knocks the ball yeah. out of Drew Brees' hands when I think they were at the 20 or the 21 of Minnesota. And if there were a time that, the Saints were going to score and take the go-ahead touchdown. I mean, it felt like you could have bet anything that they were about to take the lead there. And the Vikings' offense really hadn't shown much that they were going to, you know, answer that touchdown from the Saints with a touchdown of their own. So I think at that point, as the Saints are driving, that's when I really thought, oh my God, the Vikings are going to find a way to lose this. Daniil Hunter saves the day. Vikings get the ball back. And as you mentioned, I think it, it was... Like maybe two, the next player a couple yeah. plays after it was not it was it was on a it was on a first down so it, it might have been the first next down and play. so dalvin cook runs left and the ball comes out and falls right into the hands of the saints player runs all the way in for a score teddy bridgewater's chasing him into right. the end zone the, the whole scene for it. that yeah. was i think maybe my peak uh, holy shit, what is happening? Because we just had the fumble with Yeah, I'm like tweeting out obscenities, and it's not enough for me to express every emotion I <laughs> we have. We went from obvious Saints win to obvious Vikings win, back to obvious Saints win to, oh, hey, the Vikings still have the ball and perhaps can salvage something here. Uh, just a surreal stretch. Dalvin Cook was interesting talking about it after. said he knew 100% that he was down. He said that his knee was in a weird spot, and sometimes when you know you're down as a runner and in a vulnerable spot... It's best to let go. Feels, I don't know, a little bit of a weird response, but hey, he said from the beginning he was 100% confident. <laughs> right. uh, I think that his coaches will tell him, I don't care how confident you are, hold on to the football. Uh, but hey, a good lesson for, for next week. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's 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 tough. I, I think the only time I've seen this much back and forth, 2013 against the Ravens in the snow. That, that's that got to be the mm-hmm. only time I've seen as much back and forth. Uh, and, and in this game, the stakes are so much higher. Right, uh, and so for for the Vikings to come out with a win this time, I think against the Ravens they lost. Uh, to come out with a win this time, I don't know. It, it feels surreal, and and what what makes it I think feel more surreal is that every time the Vikings created a positive play, whether it was the Dalvin Cook touchdown, or the second touchdown, or uh, Kyle Rudolph's touchdown to, to seal it, which again there's a discussion to be had there. It almost felt like it didn't happen because you just don't get crowd reactions because they just right. don't fall silent, and it just feels like that was surreal. That yeah. like every other road game that we've done basically this season, there have been plenty of Vikings fans there that when something positive happened for the Vikings, you knew, oh, okay, something happened for the Vikings because of the crowd. Here it was 
It, it was as quiet as I have heard a stadium of this side, an, an NFL stadium. It was surreal. Yeah, and, and and you can contrast that with this might be the loudest stadium we've been in. Right. Yep. And I think it was. Yeah, and it's so easy to just say the most recent stadium you were in was the loudest, <laughs> especially if it's like Arrowhead or or CenturyLink, you know, places that have a reputation for being loud. But I do think that this was the loudest stadium that we've been in. Uh, and Diggs said the same thing, loudest stadium that, that they've been in all year. Um, or away stadium. I think he was pretty clear it was the loudest away stadium they've yep, been in all yep. year. Uh, but no, for for me, I, the single loudest stadium experience I've had. Uh, and I and I was there for 2012. Peterson getting you know the 2,000 yards. Um, and and this was absolutely louder. And then and also found ways to get quieter. And it might just be because you know you know Vikings fans. You know maybe because it's longer. Maybe because of the playoffs. Maybe because the Saints didn't want or Saints fans didn't want to sell their tickets. Whatever Vikings fans didn't travel into the stadium for whatever reason, right? Uh, not like, you know, the Chargers game or the Chiefs game or whatever. And uh, there were very, very few Vikings fans I saw walking in, very few Vikings fans I saw in the stands. Uh, it was remarkable. And so all of the reactions are driven by Saints fans. We, it's so weird to say that that's unique. But in Chicago, that wasn't right. the case. In Green Bay, that's not the case. Definitely not, you know, in, in Seattle, where there's a sizable kind of Minneapolis population. Yep. Dallas um, had a ton of Vikings fans. Yeah. And so uh, for all of the reactions to be driven by Saints fans, it almost takes away from when a positive Vikings play happens, whether or not you feel like it actually happened. And it's so weird to think of it that way because on broadcast, you know, you've got announcers reacting one way or the other. They're your primary audio input, but now one of your senses is lying to you. Right. right? And it's, it's just so bizarre. Uh, and so you, contra- you contrast that with the fact that the Vikings actually pulled out a win in this weird back and forth and that there was so much going on. Remarkable offensive performance by, uh, by, by Kirk Cousins early on, and then later they couldn't get anything done. Uh, comeback game for Adam Thielen within the game right, right. <laughs> like he has this he has this narrative arc for the season where you know he starts off you know kind of weak just because cousins is kind of weak early in the season then he gets a little stronger and then he gets injured tries to come back for the case he game doesn't have the ability to do it comes back for week 16 four targets i think maybe one catch no catches i don't know uh and it just feels like you know he hasn't been back and he comes back for this game and early on it's just a disaster for him fumble bad drops um, I think Pro Football Focus said one drop or something like that. Um, but just an overall really poor performance from him. It felt like, you know, maybe he isn't healthy. And I thought they would only play him if he was at least 90%. Um, and then, you know, he comes back, you know, he gets, you know, some really critical third downs. Uh, and then, of course, in overtime, I mean, you know, his play was even more critical than the Rudolph one right. uh, for them to be able to win in the end. You know, the the deep shot with Marshawn Lattimore out, uh, you know, Adam Thielen nailed it. And, you know, he ends up being, you know, from the goat to the hero in a game that went into overtime. It was so close. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he went through his whole narrative arc, you know, rising and falling actions, right. you know, your call to action, <laughs> you know, the Joseph Campbell hero of a thousand faces. Like you could write books on how Adam Thielen played this game. Uh, And it's not even the dominant narrative. Yeah. I want to talk more about overtime because amazingly, we've barely even scratched the surface of overtime and we're 20 minutes into the podcast. Uh, But first, Straight Cash is brought to you by DraftKings. The second week of the playoffs is upon us. The bad news is that there's only a few more weeks left in the football season. But the good news is you can still get your fantasy fix with DraftKings, the leader in one day fantasy football. And if you've never played before, there's even more reason to celebrate. You can play for a $1 million top prize this weekend. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every run, throw, and catch mean more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. It's simple. Just draft your lineup, stay under the salary cap, 
and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching the game quite like having a shot at the $1 million top prize. Plus, all new and existing users can get a deposit up to $500. That's some extra cash to play with throughout the playoffs. With only the best football teams left, there's no better time to be playing. Download the DraftKings app now and use code RUN, R-U-N, for a limited time. Both new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500 on your deposit. Remember, that's code RUN, and you can get a deposit bonus up to $500 only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Deposit bonus requires a 25 times playthrough. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. I don't know how those people do it where they read the ads very quickly. But nonetheless, here we are talking about the Vikings at the Superdome. Overtime begins. The Vikings win the toss. Kirk Cousins comes onto the field. And I can't speak for you. I can't speak for Vikings fans out there. I was not terribly optimistic in Kirk Cousins' chances of leading a 75-yard game-winning walk-off drive on the road in New Orleans against a heavily favored team. Take us back to the start of overtime. What was going through your head and and what stands out pre the 43-yard pass to Adam Thielen? Yeah, honestly, I I don't think that much about, you know, Cousins' history with comebacks or Cousins' history in big games or anything like that. From for me, looking down at the field, seventy five yards just seems so long. It, it just seems so long, and it felt longer than it ever felt, you know. <laughs> and uh, it just, like the field elongated. Maybe it's our vantage point. We're so high up in the press box, but maybe it's our vantage point. The players seem so small, right? Um, we are way up here. <laughs> yeah, we're in space, uh, and and it just seems so long. And the Vikings just we just talked about this. Just completed a quarter where they had seventeen yards on 16 plays, and a lot of that's because of the losses that they took on, like, tackles for loss and, and sacks and stuff like that. And so it, it didn't really feel like the Vikings offense was in a place where they were able to score. And honestly, like, 20 points in an NFL game is not that much anyway. Yeah. It's not like the offense was crazy efficient to begin with. They just happened to score early and then held on to a lead long enough for them not to blow it um, for for the for the Saints to win a regular. So I'm taking a look at Cousins on the field. I, I don't see what a win looks like. I don't see what a mm-hmm. touchdown drive looks Same. like. And so, I was thinking maybe they can get to field goal range and then try to get a stop. The defense is playing well. I, I wasn't even that optimistic. I was just like, a good punt. Britton Colquitt was playing a great game. He was. Uh, a good punt, defensive stop, and I did believe that the defense could get another stop. They were doing so well all game, even in the fourth quarter where Breeze ended up having 9.2 yards per attempt. I felt like the defense could find a way to get a stop, prevent a field goal from happening. And then you play a field position game where the next score wins. Uh, and I, I thought the Vikings could find a way, if they were going to win, to to eke out a field goal, right? Because Dan Bailey is suddenly someone that we can trust. Uh, let's, I, <laughs> let's just pause there. The fact that there was confidence in the Vikings kicker in a playoff game Remarkable, is right? Amazing. The I, better kicker of the two. And deserved. Yes, deserved. <laughs> it's crazy. And so that was my thought. I thought, you know, they're so far away, and, you know, every yard feels like a mile at this point. Uh, and uh, the the first play it was like what two yards I think right and I was just yep. like yeah of course I mean they weren't able to run in the fourth quarter they're not able to run now they want to run the ball uh, and so I just I just don't see it slant to Diggs ten yards great first down uh, and I again I just 
don't see it. I'm just like, well, okay, so now now you're in a range where it seems manageable to get a field goal. That's where my head's at. I'm right. not thinking about a game-winning touchdown. They got to their own 44, by the way, at this point. They're not even across midfield until Dalvin Cook on second and 10 has an 11-yard run. And that is when the, the field position flips. They're now on New Orleans side, and you're starting to think like, all right, maybe if they right. can, like if Cook can just break free on a 13-yard run, that, well, that's exactly, let I was Dan thinking, Bailey kick from there. I was thinking their best opportunity was Cook in a breakaway because that 11-yard run, he was pretty close mm-hmm. to seeing enough green, right? And it's kind of funny because on the previous play, Cook bobbles it, doesn't right. have the ability to turn up field because he's concentrating on the ball, which I, some people were complaining he didn't turn up field. Uh, I get it. But <laughs> especially after the near fumble, like in real time, 15 minutes earlier. Right. And so, you know, it, it just felt like, hey, Cook's seeing some space again. Maybe that's how it happens. Uh, and a uh, 43 yard bomb to Patrick Robinson, who has played so poorly for the Saints over mm-hmm. his tenure. His best year was in Philadelphia. <laughs> um, you know, he's replacing Marshawn Lattimore. And I. It, 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 again, it's one of those moments where because the stadium refuses yes. to react. Yes. That one more than any of the others, I was just so confused. Did he catch it? He's not in, is he? Like, I had so many things going through my brain. Like, wait a second. If he wasn't touched, he slid into the end zone. Is this a touchdown? Did they just win? Right. Did he catch it? Did he? (laughs) Where's the ball? What's happening? Yeah, I was so lost. You know, we're looking with our binoculars, and it's like, well, he has the ball in his hands. um, But every receiver has the ball in their hands if they drop it. Like, it doesn't matter, right? Right. And so my eyes immediately, like, flick to the stadium boards, and they don't want to show the replay. Right. right. (laughs) And so... Uh, the Vikings begin walking upfield, and I was like, oh, I guess it was ruled a catch. Yeah. There's and no reaction in the crowd. There's no cue that we have that these moments are as big as they are. And so people are talking after the game about, oh, you know, Adam Thielen has a, has a play that's almost as big as the Minneapolis Miracle. And I was like, yeah, I guess that's true, huh? Felt pretty different in time. <laughs> and so then they get down to the two-yard line, and I remember saying, like, oh, they're going to be super conservative here. They've got Dalvin Cook. Three handoffs to Cook, and they're in. First one doesn't go well, only a yard gets them to the one. Second one from the one-yard line, they lose three yards and a toss to the left. And so suddenly, you've got third and goal from the four. And I think in the back of your mind, you also got to be thinking, like, if we, what are we going to call? If we don't get it, are we going to go for it? What if we get three yards and now we're at the one? Then are we going to go for it? Are we going to go for it from the four? Are we going to kick no matter what? What are we doing? And into all of that time, they chose a pass play that had... Uh, an easy audible for Kirk Cousins that hey if you're getting if you're getting blitzed if they're sending the house you're gonna throw it up to Kyle Rudolph he is uh, this is a story I hope to do this week just because he was talking about his basketball prowess but he was not just like I, I know we always talk about tight ends being good basketball players and stuff he was like Division one go to Kentucky or Memphis or Duke or Kansas I don't know why I threw Memphis in there but <laughs> go to a big like powerhouse school and play basketball. That's how good he was. And so he said that, you know, his idea of the play was just box out, pretend you're going up for a rebound. And, uh, and it worked out for a touchdown, but that was another one that I think in part because of just the weird sensory part of it, where it's silent after the biggest play of the season, but also because it looked like maybe the saints could argue for pass interference. And maybe at first I thought, did he not get his feet in? But it was clear that yeah. was not the case. Um, there was some discussion. I know saints fans are obviously livid. This is sort of a weird full circle thing for them that they are the team, the fan base, the franchise that wanted pass interference as being reviewable after last year's NFC championship game. 
then the NFL quickly decides this season, no, we're not really going to change any calls on the field. So I think on the one hand, it was probably super weird for Saints fans. On the other hand, I don't know about you, but I felt like there was no way in the world you could overturn that call. Yeah, and I don't know if it's because of our vantage point as like Vikings reporters or something like that. I don't get it because I was looking through uh, Twitter after the game, which is always a mistake. <laughs> um, but I found some tweets from former officials like uh, John Perry, who worked with ESPN. Uh, and they actually did think that that might have been OPI. And I was like, wow. that is fascinating to me. It doesn't seem like OPI to me um, because I think the still definitely looks like OPI. It's got his arm extended, right? right. Um, but the still is not how you determine this. Uh, there was uh, contact was initiated by the safety. I, again, I wish I remember, maybe it was Marcus Williams, was initiated by the safety. They get into hand fighting. It looked totally legitimate to me. And then the hand fighting ends as Rudolph goes up, and it looks like his arm is extended. I don't think he pushes and makes contact. I think he is leaving the hand fighting process to go. And that's how I interpret it. And again, maybe that's just because, you know, we cover the Vikings. And so, you know, for whatever reason, we take a look at it from a Vikings perspective. I don't know. But... Um, you know, Al Riveron says, yeah, we got as many angles as we wanted. We got more angles than you actually saw on the broadcast. You know, Fox is great. They immediately provided us with the angles. Uh, and, and we were very confident in the call in the field. So there's nothing we're going to see afterwards that is going to be something that we didn't have access to. So we very quickly signaled the touchdown. And it's so weird because the one thought I had, I think around week 10 or something about this pass interference thing was that, you know, maybe for the playoffs, Right, you know, they'll right. they'll be a little bit, you know, because that's Especially what it happened in New Orleans. Right. And that's why it matters. It, it happened in the playoffs and they just want to get the call right. And it was super fast. They ruled. Like, and, you know, at the time, it felt like because of the awkwardness of of, you know, an overtime touchdown, you don't get the extra point. You know, there's no sound in the stadium. People are like <laughs> milling around on the field, but no one's quite leaving yet. Uh, it felt like it took a longer time than it actually did. But honestly, it didn't take very long for them to be like, yep, touchdown. Let's go. Yep. Well, which was, and then the refs started leaving. So Zimmer at that point joked later on in his press conference. As soon as I saw the refs leaving, I'm like, I'm getting the heck out of here. We're on the road. I, I just need to get out of here. Once I'm gone, there's no coming back. We win game over. We're, we're moving on. Um, feels like we could talk about this game for six hours. Of course, just a crazy game. Stay tuned to The Athletic for lots more. If you're not a subscriber yet, you can join for 40% off at theathletic.com slash straight cash. But since kickoff was 10 hours ago and we're still in the Superdome, it feels like the only two people still in here. Uh, we'll just wrap up with this, Arif. The Vikings head to San Francisco next week. And I think if the Saints were easily one of the two best teams in the NFC, the 49ers were, throughout the duration of the season, the other one. They've been at the top of the conference all year. Uh, they play, they have a great defense, a great defensive line, which will be something to follow for the Vikings' offensive line. Uh, Shanahan is just does remarkable things on offense. One of the few teams that runs the ball as much as the Vikings. So give us your initial scouting report as the Vikings now prepare to head to San Francisco. This is interesting because uh, you've got Richard Sherman, who I think actually, it's not Stephon Gilmore, I think Richard Sherman was the best performing uh, cornerback in the league. And I think in the athletic, uh, you know, postseason awards, uh, you know, voting uh, document that we have, uh, I'm the only one who voted for Richard Sherman as Defensive Player of the Year. Um, a bunch of other, you know, Gilmore and I think uh, Bosa or some other pass rusher. Um, 
ended up earning it uh, from from a bunch of other. But I think you know Sherman's been playing really phenomenally, and and I think he obviously deserves credit for that. Uh, and that creates some problems because you know the Vikings, uh, you know, they move by the strength of their receivers. Obviously, Cousins has been playing great, and that's fantastic. But we see what it looks like when it's only Stephon Diggs out there, and now you might be in a situation where you've got a cornerback that's actually better than one of the receivers. Uh, in from a coverage standpoint, you might be down basically a receiver from that perspective, and so that creates some difficulties in the matchup. Obviously, they've got you know I already mentioned Debosa. They've got Nick Bosa, uh, who's been on a Terry's almost certainly going to win defensive player of the year or defensive rookie of the year. Um, and uh, those two kind of define how good that defense can be. They've got Fred Warner, who's playing underrated as, a, as an incredible linebacker, but they've got good players all over. Uh, so that defense is going to be tough. And then the problem with the offense is, you know, Garoppolo has not actually been crazy efficient this year. The problem with the offense is the way that they design it. George Kittle is the best tight end in the league. He can run, he can block. Um, he can obviously he can catch, uh, and they've got Kyle Yushik, who's you know this incredible matchup problem. And and the problem with the Garoppolo is that he gets rid of the ball so quickly. His release time is so fast. It's not the same as Breeze, who I was decides just say, it quickly. It feels like the Vikings yeah. just made something like this, <laughs> right? Breeze decides quickly is 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 where he goes. But right. when, when Garoppolo decides, he gets the ball out faster than anyone else in the league. His release is almost like Marino. It's so fast mm-hmm. and so difficult for defenders to track. And so he ends up getting a bunch of easy completions, even though another quarterback trying the same thing will get jumped. Uh, And so there's some real problems with San Francisco, but I do think the Saints were the tougher matchup. Um, Now, the Vikings had a very specific game plan for the Saints. I don't know if they'll have a very specific game plan for the 49ers, and so that could kind of tilt things. Um, But the 49ers might be the other best team in the NFC. And so the Vikings, not only do they have the most difficult matchup coming out into that first playoff game, they've got the most difficult road ahead, not just because they have to play on the road, but because the teams that they're playing are the best teams in the conference. Uh, And so uh, it's not like, you know, the Packers have the other bye. I think there's uh, significant weaknesses on that team. With the 49ers, it it doesn't really feel like that. They've got strengths basically everywhere. Uh, The advantage here, of course, is that unlike the Saints, the 49ers don't have an elite wide receiver, and so that problem in the secondary that the Vikings have uh, isn't going to be as easy to exploit. So that's kind of the other thing. All of the matchup weapons they have, the Vikings have really good linebackers this year, uh, and so you've got some is- and so you've got some advantages there where their strengths are, are not nearly as big of a problem. So the 49ers, probably a better matchup. That doesn't make this an easy game. I'm almost confident the 49ers will be nearly touchdown favorites again. Already are, yep. Yeah, okay, there you go. Um, so it's not as if I'm saying, hey, you know, right, right. Uh, the Vikings should win. But I am saying that from a matchup perspective, this is a, a, probably a better spot for the Vikings. If Zimmer coaches another game of his life, uh, <laughs> and, and Shanahan is, is one of those types of coaches that can get a lot done. If it wasn't for some drops, uh, I think George Kittle actually, in their last matchup, uh, the 49ers would have beaten the Vikings. Uh, just based off of that scheme alone, the, the play-action tight end leak is just almost unbeatable, and Shanahan's the master at it. Um, it it's going to be a tough matchup, but from a matchup perspective, the Vikings' strengths and weaknesses align a little bit better, so they do have some opportunities here, and we know what the Vikings can do if everything is on and they've got some opportunities. Yeah. Well, it has been an exhilarating, exhausting, crazy day. The, you we're looking down at the field 10 hours after kickoff first happened. Um, just a, a really cool day. I think I can speak for Arif. It, it's kind of the day that, um, as sports writers, we're, you look forward to the most, especially when you're standing out at minicamp or wherever else in the middle of the offseason. Uh, so a big, big thank you to 
all of the athletic subscribers who make it possible for us to come on these road trips to bring you the stories that we'll have at The Athletic uh, tonight and Monday morning. So thank you so much for subscribing, and thank you for listening to the Straight Cash Podcast.